Moto One Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of Creative Riding, the motorcycle podcast that brings you two-wheel topics from around the globe. Tonight's show is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, go to www.patreon.com forward slash creative writing to find out more. Now, to our regularly scheduled show, show, show. You're potted up there pretty hot there, hot dog. Yeah, hot dog. Yeah. Yeah, hot dog. You're, you're potted up there real hot there, hot dog. Yeah. Oh, boy, hot dog. Yeah, hot dog. Get it, son. Get it, hot dog. fabulous adventure of the oh hot dog yeah hot dog there you go hot dog welcome to another fabulous adventure from the mag benders at the creative riding motorcycle podcast there son yeah hot dog get it hot dog yeah hot dog what you gonna do about a hot dog oh all right everybody welcome god damn hot dog all right everybody all right hot dog (laughs) i'm gonna leave this in hot dog because i'm feeling like a bad hot dog on this evening we only got one hot dog in the studio tonight, and it's me, hot dog. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you about some of the things that we had. Uh, well, Jay and I started last week. Uh, Wiggins is in Texas, and him and Jay might be chiming, chiming or chining. Who knows? They Sometimes they chine. They might be chining in later on what's been happening in uh, Wiggins and Jay world. And uh, Jay started our little segment last week. You might have remembered me talking a little bit about it. Uh, we're going to start busting into a new not-quite-challenge challenge. Maybe that's what we should call it. The not-quite-challenge challenge, educate some listeners for good times challenge, fun challenge. All right, everybody, well, welcome to episode 198 of the Creative Writing Motorcycle Podcast. Two more until episode 200. I don't even know what we're going to do. I was like, man, we should do a barbecue. We should do a big hangout. We should do all sorts of cool stuff. But listen, man. I'm I'm a little bit scared. I'm not 100% what we're going to do. Wiggins, like I said, he's uh, in Tuscaloosa, uh, Abenaki right now, which is, if you're not from the United States, is uh, part of, well, the great state of uh, Texas-stan. And um, there is a Jay who is not here with me tonight because I got to head out of town. So I'm doing this here podcast solo tonight. Uh, supposed to call up Sweet Talker Brady Walker and chat with him a little bit tonight, but uh, I had... I had a family breakdown. That's where your really young children watch the internet all day, and then they think they're robots, and they come after you with various weapons. <laughs> but uh, in real, in real life, God, I need to flip my hat upside down. It keeps hitting the mic stand. Luckily, I got some shock mounts nowadays, so you don't hear Jay and Wiggins kicking it anymore, so you won't hear me banging my head on it anymore. But uh, if you want to bang your head, feel free, uh, feel the knot. Uh, I do have a disclaimer before this week's show gets started off. Here at Creative Writing, we don't look to offend anyone or anything, except for all you dum-dums out there that, no, we don't even uh, attempt to offend you. And if we do, we apologize in advance and uh, send all your complaints to contact at nokomoto.com. And hopefully this song is not as bad as Billy Squire's dance in uh, Rock Me Tonight. Go check out that video I showed my kids 
kids, they almost pooped their pants in laughter. Um, but yeah, hopefully we pull it off a little bit better than him ripping off his shirt a couple times. And uh, hopefully this show is like the last five minutes of Howling 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf. You know, the, the credit scene? That's what I'm aiming for tonight. I want to see a different kind of shirt ripped off 18 times. Um, and in the, in the meantime, let's get this started. And I want to talk about a few things. Everybody has been talking about Eichma, and I guess I should be no different. So let's talk a little bit about Eichma. I barely paid attention to Eichma. Uh, I, I was excited about that it was coming out. But now that it's come out, Everybody and their mom has already put out 97 uh, YouTube videos about, oh, let's see, about three bikes. The Aprilia RS660, uh, one of the KTM at Super 90 Duke R4790s, and the, uh, the uh, Duke, uh, Ducati V4 Street Fighter. Everybody's talking about the Street Fighter S and all that great stuff. And then the CB insert 53,000 R's and a 1,000 in there somewhere. And uh, I'm just like, hey, bro, all right. And then uh, what else? I don't know. Those, those are the ones that everybody and their mom is talking about. Yeah, hashtag I heard somebody's mom talking about it. It was bigly. It was great. And uh, yes, it was uh, the best bikes ever uh, from Italy, shown in Italy. What they didn't really tell you about and what hasn't made the crazy rounds was a couple of the ones I've seen. Uh, well, and everybody did talk about Harley Davidson. Uh, I think Indian Challenger was there too. And I would really love to go into this discussion a little further. I didn't realize the HD and Indian uh rivalry was so alive and well and so many people were bagging on Indian and I was like wow for real so I'd like to touch upon this I don't have the proper mm, I don't have the proper uh, sounding board to bounce all this off of by myself I might, I might just sound like more of a jerk than I already do so I will leave this for another time when I actually have somebody to talk to but a co-worker in mine uh, was asking me a lot of stuff about the Indian uh, Challenger lately, right when it was uh, when it was first coming out. When it, the day it came out, I guess, yeah, he he was freaking out, like calling me uh, up and wanted to chat about it. And I was like, huh, interesting. What's got his uh, kettle stirred so rapidly? I don't know. That's not a good. That's not even a saying. I just made that up. Don't ever use that. Uh, your friends will ridicule you. But you know, what's got the bee in his bonnet? What's got the bear and his celery patch i don't know you you know what i'm talking about um it kind of had him stirred up and and it, he was a little seemed rattled in a way is what i guess i'm trying to say and it wasn't like he was visibly shaken or was he i wasn't there next to him i was on the phone with him maybe he was literally quaking with anticipation but he had a lot of questions about the indian challenger and i didn't have the answers because i don't give shit about baggers you know i'm not like a bagger bro um, I don't know anything, but I do know the numbers when I look them up on the internet. And then I saw it. Doctors hate him for this one trick. <laughs> he looks it up on the internet. And then he finds out why everybody was scared of the Indian Challenger. Now, uh, like I said, I'm not the proper sounding board by myself to go and start talking about this full-fledged. But I will give you a taste of uh, our conversation and I guess somebody had he had gone and watched uh, some guy named Laidlaw um, that does Harley Davidson videos. He's a Laidlaw dealer, 
and was bagging on the Challenger and was saying the Challenger was a Road King ripoff. And I have to agree that a Challenger, any bagger to me looks the same. So I don't know what the hell they're talking about. But the Harley-Davidson tank that's been the same since 1923 and even looking at these uh, pictures of the Pan America with the same sort of teardrop shape, you know, they the Indians definitely don't look like that. And they haven't looked like that since they uh, were basically debuted, re-debuted, uh, you know, a few years ago. And, uh, so I was like, okay, so the tank's different. The front end looks like you took a snowmobile and slapped it on there. Those headlights are bitching. The headlights are basically what KTM did with their headlights a little while back. So, okay. Yeah. That, why all that's different. And, oh, okay. So the, the windscreen's adjustable. Mm -hmm, That's cool. The Indians come with inverted forks. Mm, Then I'm more looking at the numbers and boy, does that 108 makes more power than the 114 and uh but but you can't compare water cooled to air cooled he said so i said well let's see what other baggers are there that are air cooled the yamaha eluders it's the star eluder and the star evolver or whatever the hell the star intruder i don't know what they're called but the um if you play the phil waters game of uh, add anal in front of that the anal eluder and the anal intruder <laughs> i don't know uh but they are the only air-cooled big baggers left i'm pretty sure the kawasaki uh vulcans those are uh yeah those are water-cooled um ktm not ktm um bmw the other ktm the the bmw baggers and the honda goldwing those are liquid-cooled I can't really say that Suzuki has baggers. I guess they have the M109R, but those aren't really baggers, are they? Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't consider those baggers. But even those, I think, are liquid cooled. They're big, uh, big cruisers. The uh, the Boss stuff, and then I don't really know who else makes baggers um, except for Yamaha. So if you really want to compare Harley Davidson only to Yamaha. Sure, you could win that battle. I said, dude, you can't, you can't say, hey, it's air cooled to water cooled because uh, a bagger is a bagger. So you have to uh, say, hey, my 108 makes more than your 114, and that's just all there is to it. And um, the inverted forks and the blacked out stuff, I don't, I didn't really get it. Like why he was asking me about all these features and then all the stuff that came stock on the Indians. And uh, the extra features now of the RDRS system that came out on the Harley-Davidson, which was kind of quietly talked about. They didn't, it didn't blow up because last year at the dealer meeting, Harley uh, shot their, um, their wad, I guess you would say, all over the, uh, the internets with all the great stuff they were doing. And they preemptively told you what bikes they're going to make for the next five years, which they're usually very quiet about. And they came out with that fantastic street Bob, which our buddy Tony, um, at, um, at, uh, the shred Motoko. I couldn't think of, I was almost, I was thinking of a werewolf movie movie still, uh, the Tony at shred moto, um, has been racing. And so, I mean, there were so many new things that came out in the last couple of years with Harley Davidson's redoing everything that they, uh, really didn't have room. I mean, what did you want to get another boom GTS upgrade? So the RDRS that came out recently, I was really actually kind of thought was cool and satisfied. Like, wow, there's, they're really up in the ante and up in the game. And, uh, my buddy has since test road, um, 
the Harleys and you really like the hill start control. And I said, yeah, I think the, uh, I know for a fact that the Goldwing and the BMWs have that, but I think that one of the Yamaha, like the FJR might've had that as well as cornering lights. I think the FJR has, and, um, I'm not sure if the Kawasaki's have it, but I, but he's like, Oh, like, yeah, that's not new. And I'm not even sure if the Indian challenger has it, but the blacked out thing too. And, and, and what he was basing this on, I think he said was the Laidlaw video. And I looked up some dude the other day called two Indians. And he was talking about how the Indian challenger was. And then I saw some Harley guy who does a lot of Harley videos, ride the Indian challenger and talk about how great it was and how good it did. And I thought, man, this is why the Laidlaw video is 27 minutes because Harley's feeling threatened. Well, not Harley in particular. The guys that love Harley and the guys that have based their YouTube careers on interviewing or uh, interviewing, reviewing Harleys. It's hard to interview a Harley. I tried once. Motorcycles don't really talk that much. They just are, and you just got to get on them and ride them. And if you like them, ride them more and buy them. If you don't, then find something else. So having said that, I, you know, I, it was just fun for me to sit back and see where all these questions, why feel him out, why he's asking me all these questions about Indian. And then he spilled the beans on, uh, because Harley was talking about this. The guy in the video was talking about this and this and this and this. Well, nothing uh, sums up the whole conversation and the further delving into the conversation, maybe with my buddy uh, in person, uh, maybe on the show, we'll have him on to, to talk specifically about all the things that we talked about um, and kind of go into detail why he was asking me about the Indians. Um, he, his phrase, his very last sentence, after we were on the phone and, and I was kind of trolling Harley just I was getting more info out of him every time I trolled Harley a little harder. So I thought this is great for me. Like I don't like either of them. So I just get a, I just get to find out where this is coming from. And, uh, the very last thing, um, he mentioned was that, Hey, in the end, it's the consumers that win. And I thought you're damn right. That's what this whole rivalry rivalry is about. And if you, uh, listen to business wars by Wondry, it's a great, the podcast network. Uh, Business Wars is actually a really good show that does these short clips. I know I mentioned it, excuse me, I know I mentioned it about a month ago because I think that's when it aired, the Harley versus Indian Wars. And it was mostly about Harley, but covered a little bit of Indian coming back. And they talk about how George Hendy and whatever Arthur Davidson or one of the, or William Harley, I don't know who it was, were buddies back before Indian actually closed. And when it, and even after it closed in the fifties and was sold to DuPont or whoever bought it, um, that it was, uh, they were buddies, you know what I mean? Like back before he even left the company, you know, when, when Hendy left the company and it turned it over to whoever else bought it before 53, even they were buddies and they would have these back backroom chats about the industry. And that's how they kept those two brands kept American motorcycle companies alive. So I'm like, Hmm, you know, it's fun to see this rivalry get rekindled and people forget that the big three from Japan or the big four are even making cruisers and baggers because there's this new battle being fought here on the home front. And there was so many people talking smack about, uh, the Harley Davidson Pan America. Oh man, trying to get into the ADV space. But my buddy had clearly 
said, you know, another thing he said was the camaraderie that you get at the deal at the Harley dealerships. And even Mark from Rusty Butcher, I made some comment about his Pan America that he photoshopped, and I said, look, uh, you know, like in the end, I didn't, I kept it brief, but uh, in the end, what my another thing that my buddy said was that you know. Um, Harley Davidson riders aren't going to want to switch to something else. And I think that's true. I think that Harley would be dumb at this point in the game uh, to not invest in some new, the sport bikes that they're getting into, like the Bronx. Looks amazing, I think. And even the Pan America is growing on me a little bit. I still think it looks like Bender from uh, Futurama. But I also feel like... uh, I feel like a Harley guy is a Harley guy. You buy the Pan American and you can still be part of the hog chapter. And that's what I put on uh, Rusty Butcher's little thing is that you can't do that on a Super Tenere. Yeah, you're not going to get like a Ducatisti or dude with like his kitted out Aerostitch BMW R1200 TGS to throw those away for a, you know, a 1250 V-Twin from some American company that hasn't done uh, uh, adventure bike since Eric Buell did it with the Ulysses. Um, yeah, you're not going to get the, those loyal guys to throw their stuff away and definitely maybe not KTM or triumph tiger riders, you know, like you aren't going to get those guys to bin it, but you know what you will get? Maybe you'll get that dude that has like the road glide to get a Pan America because he wants to go off-roading and you can't off-road very well on a road glide and you're, unless you're like those two dudes on those gold wings that uh, send it in that video of them doing motocross on gold wings. But you don't want to do that to a road glide. But uh, anyway, yeah, so that... Uh, co- coming back to full circle to ICMA, I know they showed the Pan America there, and I do know that Indian and Harley were releasing some stats for their stuff since I- at the ICMAs, but who cares because they're not Italian bikers. Scusi. Yeah. Uh, turns out Italy likes them Italian bikes. That's why Ducati and MB Agusta and all these people are getting so talked about at ICMA. But... And the CBR and all that great stuff. I don't want to talk about any of that stuff. You go, you go listen to No Komodo and their very wet podcast on that. Uh, we are going to probably talk about Icon maybe next week. Um, I have returned from a work trip. Fast forward to the magic of editing. Um, I'm back, and I had an epic time down in San Diego. I had an epic lane splitting both ways, up and down. Traffic is terrible from L.A. down to San Diego now. People in San Diego used to say, I'm not going to come visit you because the traffic in L.A., and I can tell you, I think I've mentioned it before. Traffic's just as bad down there in the good old SD. Um, So, yeah, it was terrible, but I did a lot of cool lane splitting and coming back up here via the 15 freeway. Um, I did a lot of epic lane splitting all the way back. I almost made it to... um, I almost made it down or back up to L.A. on one tank of gas from San Diego on my puny... Two gallon Yamaha. For patrons, I think I'm going to. Uh, I did a lot of talking about Eichma, uh, and it was kind of stupid and rambling, which. <laughs> welcome to creative writing, my friend. Anyway, I might publish that for our patrons so they can see what the show would have sounded like last week had I not uh, re edited this part in. But Jay contacted me um, this, you know, just tonight when I was, after I got home or. 
And um, she had an epic court battle she wanted to talk about. Um, so we'll talk about that. Or I'll let her ramble on about that. I'm just going to plug it in here. I haven't even listened to it, so you're going to hear what I hear. It may be offensive. Refer to the disclaimer at the beginning of the show. It may be horrible content. Tune in next week. Um, and then, yeah, you're going to hear what I hear. So who knows what sort of totally fucking off-the-wall shit she may or may not say. Um, as far as lane splitting, I do want to say I pulled a 65-mile-an-hour uh, skitteroo on the freeway today when a car... Uh, I wasn't even lane splitting. I was lane splitting. Let me say let me say that. I was lane splitting, but there were no cars that I was going in between at the time. So I was just in the fast lane, the far left lane, and a car came over and uh, didn't even look, just came right over into where I was. And instead of cursing and blaming the car for it, I just put on the brakes because if I didn't put on the brakes and I swerved to the left over toward uh, the shoulder, the the what, what shoulder there was next to the uh, freeway divider. And luckily, uh, I was able to stop in time and uh, they... We were already slowing down. Traffic was backing up. And um, so they were slowing down too. And the cars in front of me were slowing down. And they just jumped into this little spot that they saw. They didn't realize there was a motorcycle in the lane. So I just want to say, Jay, it happens to all of us. But use your skills. Use your evasive skills. And uh, I, it's so funny because I, I did skid to the left. I target fixated on the car. But... Uh, I didn't go where I was looking. I steered away from it and uh, steered toward the median, but I was looking at the car the whole time like, holy shit, are they going to hit me? So happens to the best of us, Slay J. And then on the way home, uh, all clear skies. It was beautiful, great. I do have to say riding in the fog was something. <laughs> um, it was pretty cold to our Wisconsin buddies out there. It wasn't like freezing cold. It wasn't 30s, but... It was like 40s and 50s with heavy fog. So it was uh, kind of like riding through a mister, a uh, little damper all the way um, all the way down. And it got super cold. And it was just got colder and colder uh, the closer I got to San Diego. Um, coming home today, even in the sunshine, it was a little bit cold. So kind of weird. So we might get some rain next week. Woo for that. And um, right now, I am going to pass the mic over to Jay. We'll see what she say, and then we will come back. Her and I have a challenge coming up later in the show. Like I said, I'll talk. I'll redo my Eichma crap and uh, have a little bit more detailed um, spokage about it. And next week is going to be uh, IMS. So I made package all these together. Quick word to our patrons and our prize winners from last month for Spooky Spokes and the guys who I owe uh, stuff for the box of S. Um, it was supposed to go out in the mail this week. I be, Like I said, I've been in down in San Diego for work, um, so I haven't been up here monitoring the mail situation, but our mailman, Jim H., ordered uh, some stickers. And so he said he's post he postponed the shipment until the stickers arrive. And the stickers, uh, I got an email that they are in route to uh, Creative Writing Motorcycle Headquarters. And so they should be here by the end of the week. I should be able to mail this stuff out um, Friday or Saturday if he doesn't get a chance to do it um, before that. So I'll let you know. All right, let's get in with Jay's Rambolo. Rambolo. 
time with Jay today. I have a, a good little story that I wanted to share with y'all. Uh, it's got some juicy details. Uh, just want to note that any of the people, the alleged uh, people involved in this story is all alleged. I am not confirming nor denying the truth or validity of this situation uh but it is a fun little story so you can take it on its entertainment values uh just think of it as entertainment but there is a few uh morals to the story and things that uh bikers and motorcyclists can learn from because this story has a lot of elements that i'm sure many other motorcyclists have encountered and it's uh, it's good to know <clears throat> so let's just say that i know maybe somebody named bob and let's just say bob uh was going to a doctor's appointment one day right and he was taking the freeway in los angeles Oh, by the way, I just had some barbecue from my mom's barbecue in L.A. Totally vouch for it. I recommend it. If you're ever in South Central off of uh, Vermont Avenue and Imperial Highway, delicious. I just finished off this uh, sweet potato pie. It was so bomb. So good. Had some uh, sliced beef and some rib tips. Highly recommend it. Really good. So anyways, <clears throat> so Bob's going to a doctor's appointment and he's got to take a few freeways on his motorcycle to get to said doctor's appointment. You know, the whole routine of merging onto a freeway uh, when it's a little bit trafficy can be a bit stressful, especially in Southern California. I know I've spoken about it many times. <clears throat> on the podcast and it's it's not for the weak of heart you got to be on your toes at all times it just gets crazy so bob was going it wasn't it was like early in the morning so it wasn't the traffic wasn't really crazy but there was definitely oh sorry about that there is a definitely some slow patches here and there and so Bob gets on the freeway and slowly proceeds to make his turns, uh, changing lanes one at a time. Uh, he is very safety conscious when riding on the freeway, wearing, you know, he's one of those gear nerds. I heard he uh, likes to wear bright yellow vests like a total dweeb, uh, just so that people can see him. He, he, he allegedly says that it helps and makes him go faster who knows anyways he's riding it safely got the gear on uh changing lanes oh and it's good to mention this is where a listener should take note bob has a camera headset on this is going to be a fundamental element of the story and keep that in mind so he always makes sure that the camera's on when he's riding 
just because you never know. You never know when you're going to need footage. Uh, sometimes there's accidents that happen. There may be, you know, uh, you might get a ticket and you know that it's not um, a valid ticket and you would need some sort of evidence to fight it, so on and so forth. So Bob gets in to the second to the left lane, the lane that's next to the fast lane, and he is looking around, you know, checking behind him to see, uh, because eventually he wants to be able to split between, there's an HOV line, high occupancy vehicle lane on the far left side. In California, we call that the express lane on some freeways. And so there's that lane and you have to pay to get in that lane. If you're in a car, you have to get a transponder and you pay a monthly monthly fee. If you have a motorcycle, I believe motorcycles, uh, you don't have to pay. You get, that's the perk of being on a motorcycle is you can usually ride on there and you don't have to pay anything. So a lot of motorcyclists will jet over there so that you know they can kind of cut through some of the hellish traffic that happens over down here in Los Angeles. So he's looking to his left. He checks, you know, he learned a lesson a while ago. Always check that lane that you are planning on splitting. Check to make sure that there's no motorcyclists that are oncoming because there have been close calls that Bob has experienced in the past just because he didn't look far enough behind him. Because, you know, some some people are split like bats out of hell and you may not see them until it's too late. So checks over, he's looking, it's clear, uh, taking a look at the fast lane, seeing what's going on with the cars. There's cars that, there's like back-to-back cars with about a car length gap in between each car. Traffic's going about 30 miles per hour. So he's like, okay, you know, uh, he is also traveling in about 35 miles per hour basically reasonable speed uh average speed is everyone else around him he is not splitting crazily changing from lane to lane wildly as some some motorcyclists can do and so he looks to his left he sees an opening in that fast lane there's a gray prius that he's eyeing and he's gonna pull in behind that prius right so as he proceeds again left turn signal looks over the shoulder sees that there's space proceeds to make the merge into that lane the prius brake checks immediately and being as i'm sure it's the same in other states uh same problem that you guys have as we do here in california where you cannot assume that the person you are pulling in front of has their eyes straight ahead okay (laughs) i think we've all seen how many times people are on their fucking cell phones when they're driving and so bob being in it's a situation where you know sometimes you do have to respond in with a split second decision especially when you're on a motorcycle and your life is literally at risk of of harm or danger so it's not it's not like oh if you're in a car and you merge you know okay you might tap their bumper whatever bumper falls off worst case scenario at 30 miles per hour nothing really nasty is going to happen you do that on a motorcycle literally broken bones are 
a lot of times guaranteed. Um, you know, I've experienced all of my accidents were under 35 miles per hour and I broke multiple bones in my body. So I can attest to the fact that it does not take very much speed to break our bones. <clears throat> so Bob, you know, in that moment, the Prius brake checks, he doesn't want to get rear-ended. He does not want to get sandwiched. So he pulls to the left of the Prius, which then puts him in between the HOV lane and the fast lane in the freeway. So this is one of those parts where it's not just the two close together parallel lines. There is a bit of, I don't know how they do it in other states, but sometimes when you have um, lanes that are merging on to the freeway, an additional lane or a carpool lane that uh, suddenly emerges, you get a bit of a gap. It's kind of like a gap and then it tapers to a wider or, or smaller, depending on which direction you're coming from. So this gap happens, it happened to be the HOV lane that was now coming onto the freeway. And so it was tapering. So at that point when Bob, you know, went around the Prius, he was suddenly in that area. And this is about a two and a half foot wide approximate area in between these two lines. Okay. So he doesn't want to stay in that weird, awkward place. It's kind of like a limbo. It's not really, it's kind of a gray area as far as technically can, can be seen as illegal. Uh, I don't know. It's weird. A lot of motorcyclists tell me they will split through there. Some motorcyclists don't. Um, I've done it before. And then there's times where I don't do it because I, I feel like it can be kind of sketchy and I try to avoid it. So Bob, you know, he doesn't want to split in that area. So he pulls fully to the left, all the way, placing his motorcycle all the way in the HOV lane at that point. The HOV lane is actually clear, there's no cars there. So he immediately is able to get up to uh, highway speeds, uh, legal speed limit being 65. So he gets up to 65 and remember, this is all on camera. So he gets up to 65, chilling, not in a hurry, not, not trying to be crazy. It's early in the day. This area has been known to have a lot of CHP and officers, and um, it's easy pickings, as they say. So sure enough, within about six seconds of Bob doing that maneuver, CHP motorcycle officer is positioned on the left shoulder, so left of the HOV lane, perpendicular to the lane. So just basically watching everyone on the freeway. He has all eyes on the freeway so that if anybody slips up, he can pop them real easy and meet his quota for the month or the week or the fucking year whatever his quota is, because we all know that they have quotas. It's not a conspiracy, it's a fucking racket. So he's there catching fish in a barrel. And of course, you know, I'm sure he was looking down, downwind, you know, he's looking at the traffic that's coming towards him because he wants to see like, okay, you know, who's gonna be stupid, who's gonna make a mistake. So he sees Bob and automatically assumes, okay, Bob is just, you know, trying He's just trying to fucking get one on the rest of the cars, making this illegal move, being wild on the freeway. He, the CHP officer was far enough down the line that he actually 
had no visibility on the situation or what had caused Bob to make the maneuver that he did. All that he had evidence of was that Bob was not in the HOV lane and then suddenly Bob appeared in the HOV lane. That's, that's all that the officer knew. So as Bob approaches the CHP, uh, he had been told in the past the uh, folklore of wearing a yellow vest and waving politely to uh, CHP or, or officers is usually uh, 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 you get a pass. That, that's what he had been told. I've heard the same thing. Uh, who knows if it works, but he figured he'd give it a try. He'd give a friendly wave to the CHP. You know, how you doing? And again, check the speed limit. He's rolling. Everything's within parameters. Not, not doing anything shady. So he is thinking, okay, you know, I should be, I should be good. Like, uh, gave the wave to the officer. He didn't, he didn't look like he whipped out and pulled behind Bob. So he thought he was good. However, Bob did have a feeling in his stomach that maybe, maybe this officer is trying to meet his quota. And that was an easy, easy pickings for him because it's, to him, it was a open and shut case, right? You see somebody pulling, you, you don't know the story behind it, but if it's their word against yours, uh, oftentimes when you go to court and try to fight that battle, um, the judge will usually side with the officer. It, like it or not, whatever your stance is, that's just a material reality. I've witnessed it time and time again, uh, just with friends and families and people I know family members it it's unfortunately the system can it's not as fair as we like to believe it to be sometimes right sometimes especially when it comes to motorcyclists um some people i've heard stories that they will get uh uh you know zeroed in on because somehow they're seen as maybe causing trouble or they're more of a target on their back so anyways uh, so Bob is nervous at this point because you never know. You just never know with a cop. You cannot pass a cop and then just always trust that you're not going to suddenly get lit up for whatever reason. Even if it's just a check to see if maybe you look like somebody that they've been looking for. Who knows? So Bob keep Bob at this time had bar and mirrors, which I don't know why. Th- those are, in my opinion, the least useful mirrors in the world to have on a motorcycle uh they take your eyes off of the road they're so far out to your left and your right that you're moving your head instead of keeping your eyes straight forward and um so usually sometimes when you have those bar end mirrors it does cause you to have to take your eyes off of the road to look down especially if it's a naked style sport bike you have to look down and then look back up and look down and look back up. And, and sometimes these mirrors are so small that, and the position, they don't really get good visibility. They don't capture everything around the motorcyclist. So sometimes when you're looking for something behind you, you got to hunt for it, but you know, you don't have the luxury of being in a cage. So you, you don't have the luxury of spending two or three seconds to hunt for whatever you're looking for. In this case, Bob was looking for lights looking for the black and white, the, uh, the 5 
And so he looks down, doesn't see anything. Checks speed limit, going, going within the speed limit. Okay, five seconds goes by, checks down, now everything's good. Speed limit's good, okay. Uh, 10 seconds, checks down, just one last time because there's a weird, weird feeling in his belly. And very, very vaguely, but just like way in the distance, so far in the distance, you can see, or he sees, but the footage on the video shows the, the wonderful red and blue lights lighting up. And uh, so at this point, because, you know, 10 or 15 seconds had passed, Bob wasn't sure if this officer was going after him or was if maybe the officer saw somebody else because there has been situations where I've experienced where you know a cop will put his lights on and then I'm like okay I'm gonna is he coming after me is he going around me sometimes they officers don't always act as predictably as you would hope they would which is unfortunate too and so as the officer gets closer I mean the officer is like suddenly snapped up quick once once bob saw his light the officer's lights in his mirror it like he looked down again and then like the officer was like almost right on top of him so that was pretty much confirmation that okay i think the officer uh wants to have a little talk with bob so at this point uh you know the procedure is to pull all the way to the right to the shoulder safely making sure that you do not endanger yourself or the officer However, when Bob went to look, Bob started to merge to the right. So Bob starts to slowly merge to the right, looking over. But then he sees that the officer is now on his right side in his blind spot. So before, when the officer was coming up, he was on the left side. And then once he got right up on top of Bob's rear end, he positioned himself to the right side in the blind spot. And then as Bob goes to look over to his right before he fully merges over, the officer is literally parallel next to him, right next to him. And so at that point, uh, Bob is very confused because he doesn't know, where would you want me to go, officer? Um, That's what he's thinking, you know, like if the officer's in the way of the place that you should be going, where do you go? Uh, you're not supposed to go to the left. I mean, that's how what I was taught in driving school way back in the day. So Bob, at that point, lifts up his visor and motions over to the right shoulder, being like, you want me to pull over there, officer? And the officer is really offended by this question. As if, why wouldn't this motorcyclist know that you're supposed to pull over to the shoulder even if there is a officer blocking the literal pathway of said motorcyclist so the officer gets really really upset angrily shouts and points with both hands to the right side like get the fuck over there shithead and so sure enough okay bob gets the picture he gets the point and immediately starts trying to get over to that shoulder as safely as possible. And at that point, Bob gets onto the shoulder, 
turns off the bike, puts down the kickstand, waits for the officer to approach him to let him know what the, uh, the situation is, right? So as the officer approaches, he has a particularly, let's just say he, he didn't seem happy. Uh, he sounded like he was just having a shitty morning, probably really cranky almost and almost like uh, the ability to have a badge and a gun and sometimes unchecked power allowed maybe this officer to take it out on people. Maybe that would make him feel a little bit better because maybe his wife uh told him he had a small dick or you know maybe his neighbor's dog shat on his front lawn or maybe his kids barfed all over his uniform who knows who knows who knows what was happening with him but he didn't seem very happy he was not happy at all so bob asks uh the officer informs him that he you know uh illegally pulled across this divider lane section as you are not supposed to do and um number one lie that this officer tells is he tells bob that bob crossed 20 feet of this divide that there was this area that separated the two lanes and it was 20 feet wide and now this officer was about a quarter mile away maybe even a little bit less than half a mile away not quite sure i i don't have i mean i don't have superman vision so i can't speak to the fact of being able to see things far away but i'm pretty sure that it's really 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 difficult to judge the width of a lane even if you've been a fucking cop for however many years when it's that far ahead it's just not humanly possible so bob being as he was the one on the motorcycle when he made that emergency maneuver, he knew for a fact that wasn't 20 miles, but like that was insane. So he, you know, gives a little bit of pushback and says, actually that, that area wasn't 20 mile, 20 uh, feet wide. Officers do not like when you disagree with them. And so that obviously didn't make this cop's attitude any better at that point. In fact, it irritated him even further. Uh, Bob is not always one to hold his tongue, but that's another story for another day. So Bob was not, just keep in mind, that Bob was not being argumentative in any way, nor aggressive. He was using a respectful tone. He was using sir thank you, please, Um, asking clarifying questions, definitely making sure that his attitude and approach towards this officer was nothing that would be interpreted as any, any way aggressive. But the, uh, the respect was not uh, being mutually uh, put forth um, by both parties, only one party, one person. So Bob then Ask for clarification to the officer. When is it okay to cross over into that divider area? Are there any situations or instances where that would be chill or acceptable? Or, you know, if it's an emergency or if you have to get around a car 
in a situation. Uh, officer gives kind of like a really vague answer and something along the lines of like, oh, well, if he, if the officer saw it with his own eyes, then maybe he would be more lenient, which uh, prompted Bob to have a bit of a red flag thrown that this officer really didn't see what had happened that caused Bob to cross over those lanes. Okay, keeping that in mind. So, officer has a ticket in hand and go, Bob goes to look at this ticket and, and sees that there's two items on the ticket. So, not only crossing the divider, but then also speeding. Something between 85, approximately 85 to 90 miles per hour. <laughs> funny because video footage didn't show that. And so, again, Bob has concerns about this false claim on the ticket and, uh, you know, starts to try to have a little bit of a conversation with the, the, the officer and the officer basically kind of just kind of goes off a bit. He says that Bob doesn't know how to ride, that he's going to actually recommend to the judge that the DMV suspend the license of this individual and that they need to be required to take additional uh, riding training because this motorcyclist, in his opinion, was such a terrible motorcyclist and did not have any sort of skill set, which is pretty much kind of a threat, in my opinion, when I heard that. And uh, so that's the officer said that. And then the officer also said that Bob was going up to 90 miles per hour <laughs> once he emerged over, which again was a blatant lie. And then also on top of it, like, like I said, I think this guy was having a bit of a bad day. Uh, on top of it says that he couldn't, the officer couldn't believe that Bob didn't know what to do when there was a CHP behind him with the lights on. And I mean, some people, when they hear things that are falsely said to them and asserted against them, they're not ones to just sit and take in. Bob was not about to do that in that moment. He felt very, that these were unjust accusations that were going to cause unnecessary stress and anxiety and t loss of time and money to fight it in court, right? So foolishly, you know, Bob kind of is like, okay, that's not at all accurate. And even alludes to the fact that uh, officer, I have a camera. I know for a fact I wasn't going 90 miles per hour. I know for a fact. Like, I'm not... I, I know that I looked down at my speedometer. Not once did it go past 75. Is what Bob says to him. And at that point, the officer thinks that he's had enough of the lip that Bob has been giving him. Bob, who does Bob think he is? Talking back to an officer, respectfully, uh, questioning his authority, respectfully, um, insinuating that maybe the case that this officer is putting forth is not accurate, um, that somehow 
everything that comes out of this officer's mouth is not God's truth and completely 100%, 1000% accurate and factual and ironclad, how dare Bob question that? How dare Bob think that this human in a suit that has a badge is not a god? And that he may think that he has all the power in the world, but at the end of the day, uh, an abuse of power, it sure comes, uh, it sure shrivels up real quick in the light of day when there's evidence to prove otherwise. So, long story short, get to the meat of the matter. Bob, you know, tries to delay the court date, you know, not looking forward to it, hoping that maybe there could be a dismissal just because it's really stressful having to get all of this evidence together. But the key thing is, is that Bob had video footage. He also had audio footage of the entire process from him merging into that HOV lane to him getting um, pulled over to his speeds throughout that time. And of course, not only that, but also the audio of what the officer told him, which were lies, and the very key footage of conveniently when the officer snatches the ticket from Bob's hands as he's about to sign it, because, you know, remember he didn't like the attitude that Bob had given him, and crosses out the speeding citation. And Bob in that moment was dumbfounded, like, what the hell is, what's going on? I was just about to sign that, I don't understand. Very confused look on his face, like, never had that happen before. And then just watching the officer, Bob could tell that something good was uh, something good was not happening. It was all bad right now. Something very bad, bad was happening. And sure enough, officer pretty much tosses it back to Bob as in, hey, check out what I just did, bro. <laughs> and so what he had done is he had crossed out the speeding violation. He rewrote the speeding violation, except this time, in very big, bold letters, he wrote the words max speed. And he told Bob that he was going to recommend the ops to the judge that, you know, again, yeah, Bob doesn't know how to ride a motorcycle. So after that, the, the officer smugly walked away. His, his job was done for the day. His, he can go, go home for the day. He met his quota, um, you know. I don't think he thought that Bob actually had a camera recording all of this. In fact, he thought that Bob was bluffing. And that's when, what leads us to part two of this juicy story. So Bob eventually gets his court date. Um, it's a very stressful day. And a uh, little side note, I guess on the way to the court date, he uh, gets a warning from a CHP officer from an accidental, uh, went past the meter light. <clears throat> but the officer was really cool about it because uh, Bob was very apologetic and uh, did not want any more stress in his life at that, at that point. <laughs> and so then Bob gets to the courthouse. 
hot, sweaty day, long lines, about 40 people in line to get their trial. And as Bob's sitting there, he sees two CHP's officers strolling. And if you're anyone who lives in California, they're just be warned, CHP are known to show up to trials. That's what they get paid to do. A lot of times they get paid incentive pay or overtime or bonuses or whatever. They are encouraged by their superiors to go to trial. Um, from what I've heard, police, police officer tickets are usually actually pretty lenient and a lot of times you can get away with just a dismissed ticket due to no one showing up in court. Not so with CHP. CHP love to go to court, baby. They love to write their tickets and they love to go to court. I mean, what's, I mean, how could you not beat that? You get to be on a motorcycle all day, writing up tickets, you got all this power. Doesn't even matter if it's like you're putting infractions or violations that actually happen, who cares? You got the gun, you got the badge, you got the power, you're getting paid for it and you get paid to go to court and like chill for the rest of the day, especially if it's a slow day. Fucking sounds like a pretty sweet gig to me. So Bob sees the officers stroll in and immediately he's like, okay, ready for a fight. So let's just rewind 10 hours. 10 hours prior, Bob is getting all, he's getting fresh, all the evidence. He wanted to save it to the very last second to get it ready because he wanted it to be fresh when he was going over it all. So what he did is he had the video, he went through, he took screenshots of every significant part in the process. The part where he's three lanes prior to getting to that fast lane so that he can show that he is riding safely, he's not in a hurry, he's not going um, more than five or 10 miles per hour beyond the traffic around him. He's looking in his mirror, he's looking over his shoulder, he has his turn signal on before every single maneuver that he makes. He took a screenshot of the moment that he starts to pull in behind the Prius and no brake lights are apparent. And then, you know, half second, second later, boom, brake lights, firm brake check from the Prius. Took a snapshot of that, okay? So we have two snapshots there. Uh, shows the, um, take a snapshot of the process of Bob maneuvering around the Prius to the left. And conveniently, the camera had grabbed the odometer and it was 39 miles per hour. So he definitely was not a speed demon in that moment. And, you know, screenshot of the moment where Bob waves at the CHP officer. And the speedometer again is visible in that shot. He is going a whopping 55 miles per hour. Uh, you can see the traffic around Bob, so it's pretty easy to see, even if the odometer was not calibrated, as most civilian bikes are not accurate. They're usually, from what I've heard, five to even 15 miles per hour off. And so even if that was inaccurate, you could still tell from the footage that the cars around Bob, uh, he was not blasting past them. They were not blurs. They were actually uh, pretty consistent with his speed. So he takes a screenshot again of Bob checking the mirrors multiple times. So there's evidence that Bob was looking behind him, was checking to see 
Um, and then also uh, repeatedly looking at his speedometer to make sure that he was regulating his speed during this time. Okay, so we got all those snapshots there and the snapshots of the officer pulling behind him. Well, in the camera, it caught the mirror so you can actually see the officer really far back in the mirror and you can see how he rapidly catches up to Bob's motorcycle. And then you can also see how the officer pulls to the right of Bob. And also when Bob looks over to his right and the officer is literally directly right next to him on his right side, motioning Bob to pull to the right, which is impossible in that moment. That was a great screenshot that he added to his pile of evidence. And then, um, since the video was still recording, Bob also had the ticket, the process of the ticket, uh, uh, a snapshot of the ticket that the officer had written, where it had the two citations and nothing was crossed out. So there was a moment on the footage where he has proof that the officer wrote these two citations. And then after a emotional outburst, which is also caught on camera as the cop is scratching that out. That was also another snapshot that was taken. So at this point, I think Bob had a collection of 13 exhibits of evidence, not to mention the video footage, which was also in the evidence pile. So Bob, at this point, did this the night before the, 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 the court date and stayed up till 6 a.m. Actually, no, I think it was 8 a.m. that morning. So he was working on it for about eight, eight to 10 hours because the footage, the Bob's not very computer literate and he didn't have uh, the technology to make like a video that he could compress to put on his old ass iPad, which is like 10 years old. So he, every time he downloaded this freeware and every time he would get to the point where he was ready to export the file, it, the, the fucking program would close down. And so Bob would lose all of the work of the last hour. And he kept trying to save repeatedly, but this fucking program was just a pain in the ass. And finally, after just working his fingers to bloody stumps getting all of this evidence collected and finally getting this fucking video footage um, put together and con uh, condensed compressed enough so that it could fit on his iPad so that he could take it to court and show the judge in person so that the judge could see for themselves what had taken place and then the judge could make that decision on whether or not Bob had made justified actions in the decision to merge, as well as if the officer's behavior was justified in what he did in writing, scratching off on the ticket and some of the things that he said to Bob that were clearly and unequivocally able to be proven to be false. So Bob is the last person. Everyone else, there's like a 30 people think like four people were left over because none of the uh, uh, officers showed up for the other cases. So those people were smiling, they were walking, 
pretty much skipping out of the fucking courthouse. So Bob is like, okay, it's almost my time. It's almost my time. Just breathe, take it easy, chill. Wow, I'm passing by a gnarly fucking accident. People need to learn how to drive. God damn, they suck. So, where was I? That, that distracted me. God damn it. Oh, yeah. So, Bob is cool, calm, and collected. Strolls up to the table. He's got the big stack of paperwork. He also has uh, had some issues with employment due to some possible injuries. I don't know, something along those lines. But, basically, he's not really financially viable at this point, from what I understand. But he had a documentation of all of that. And screenshots, as I said printed in color, labeled exhibit one, two, three, four, so on and so forth, as well as an iPad open with the video ready to be played. Okay, so when the officer looked over at Bob, I was told that the officer who originally had swaggered into the courtroom, thinking he had a big dick swinging between his two legs, suddenly shriveled to a little little beanie weenie you know those little like beanie weenies in a can like this tin can and there's these little fucking sausages and they look like little like tiny little weenies that's what this this officer shriveled down to and suddenly beads of sweat started to appear on his forehead And he started to look apparently kind of fidgety and nervous. And um, from what I can gather, I think that the cop was uh, nervous because he fucking broke the law. He straight up lied. He put uh, false citations on there. He falsely accused the motorcyclist of doing things that were circumstance, like evidentially Uh, able to be proven false and then on top of it through an abuse of power uh in punishing bob for questioning his authority you know by writing a harsher citation on the ticket suddenly that officer was now very very aware that all of that behavior and conduct was literally a hot steaming pile of evidence that was about to be presented to a judge and probably wouldn't make him look very good in fact it might even get him reprimanded so bob stands there waits for the process to get started uh you know the officer is the one who testifies first conveniently And oh my God, you guys, I wish you could have been there because from what I heard, the officer starts stammering. Uh, uh, Your Honor, um, I can't seem to find the, uh, I can't seem to find the notes on this particular case. Yeah, I don't think I have them. I'm going to have to move. go for a move for dismissal due to lack of any um, notes on this citation. That motherfucker was stuttering, stammering. He had sweat on his fucking brow. He was not ready. 
he was not ready. He came in there thinking, you know what? I got this made. Because when Bob looked over at the officer, the officer had two files in front of him over on his side of the court, in the courtroom. He was reviewing his notes for both cases that he had that day. It was very apparent that he had two cases with multiple pages uh, for his files or whatever, note-taking, on each. Didn't have one for the person that was previous to me that he wrote a ticket up to. He had two. Because Bob was watching him and saw this. Because, you know, you got to know what uh, you're going up against. (laughs) So the moral of the story, to wrap up this very long and meandering story, is number one, always fucking put a camera on your motorcycle because you never know when you're going to need it. You never know if you're ever going to be in an accident, if you're ever going to witness an accident. You never know if you're going to get written a ticket falsely and accused of something falsely. And uh, cameras help capture that. It's fucking evidence. And it can make or break a situation, whether it's proving that you're not at fault in an accident or whether it's proving that you didn't commit a crime that you're being accused of. So that's moral of the story, number one. Moral of the story, number two. Don't let yourself be intimidated if you know that you're in the right. If you know that you're being falsely accused and you have evidence to support yourself, don't back down. Calmly put your case together, get what you need together, do research, figure out uh, the laws regarding the situation, what you need, what, what, what type of evidence is admissible, how the, <clears throat> excuse me, how the process goes, so on and so forth. Be prepared. If you have evidence, fucking log that shit, number it. So what Bob did was he printed out labels and printed out screenshots, 1 through 13, exhibit 1, 2, 3, blah, blah, blah. That way it was easy to be presented and um, it also had a description of what was happening in that shot so that if Bob would have had to present this evidence, it would be very easy for the judge to understand and to come to a conclusion with. As well as because Bob had footage, he had the footage ready for the judge to watch so that they could make a judgment based um, from their perspective because obviously you could maybe take a screenshot and manipulate it but if you have video footage that also corroborates what the snapshot is saying that's pretty ironclad evidence proving you know one way or another so get your shit together and don't stress about it if you know that you're in the right and that you're being falsely accused just calmly and confidently and quietly put your stuff together don't cause a ruckus like just know that you know there's a saying about something about like uh evil scatters in the light of day or something like that i don't know some bullshit but something like that is basically like if you know you're in the right and you can prove it then you're good you're solid so if you don't have a camera on your bike you don't have a camera on your helmet i really suggest that you get one because it is, it's just so fucking useful, especially nowadays when um, it can be so easy to be accused of something 
and the, the way that the court systems are set up, it's very, very difficult oftentimes to, to fight your cases. And in fact, a lot of times out here in L.A., what they do is they will um, do a plea deal. They try to get you to do a plea deal, so they offer you cutting your fees in half, which sound great for you, right? Like, hey, if I'm looking at a $600 ticket, now this officer is coming up to me and is like, hey, uh, I can talk to the judge You'll only have to pay $300. You just admit your guilt, and we walk out of here part ways and never see each other again. What people fail to think about in that moment is they don't pause. It sounds good right right then, right? Like, shit, that's going to be uh, half the money. I mean, if you don't have $600, I mean, it's definitely $300 is going to be more attractive. But what people forget is that that goes on your DMV record. That will affect your insurance rates. If you have any previous um, issues, tickets, accidents, whatever, it's an accumulative file, oftentimes for many years. And um, officers have immediate and instant access to that when they look up your license plate or your driver's license number. So you don't want to have anything on your record that it does not need to be there, especially if you know that you didn't really commit it or it's being manipulated in such a way to falsely accuse you. So those are the morals of the story. Um, I don't want this to be taken as a cops versus biker mentality. That's not at all where I'm coming from. Um, My personal opinions on police officers is irrelevant, and I'm not going to get into that on the podcast because that's not what this podcast is for. It's the motorcycle podcast. But the fact is, is that motorcyclists do have interactions with officers sometimes. Sometimes they're great, and sometimes they're not great. You know, personally, I had uh, a few good ones and a few bad ones. I mean, I had one time an officer pulled me over and he was like oh you know I used to ride and like uh he was super super friendly and chill and you know we uh bonded over motorcycles and he's like you know what I don't want to have to write a report someday in the future that you are you know a skid mark on the on the ground so please be careful and ride within the speed limit or whatever his suggestion was for that day so he's super cool but um like I said If you're going to be on a motorcycle and you're going to break a law or whatever, just you better make sure that you can either get away with it without getting caught or if you're in a situation that could be potentially looking like you're breaking the law, but you're not, fucking make sure you get evidence for that shit because it will be thousands of dollars of headache and hassle in the future if you don't cover your ass. So that's story time for today. Again, I cannot uh, confirm or deny that any of that was real or that it actually happened to a fictional or non-fictional person. It's just about the moral of the story. It's about what you get out of it. And hopefully it was entertaining. I don't know. But I know that uh, somebody may or may not be feeling pretty fucking sweet for having a victory. So victory victory is something to be cherished. And uh, I'm going to go have a cold one with Bob. He's out.
All right, that was our Ramble On Ramble Fest with Jay. Hopefully it was good. I haven't listened to it. Um, I'm hearing it for the first time if you are. So we'll get back to our regularly scheduled programming right now. These are the ones that look like Ubcos, and in fact, whoops, they may be Ubcos, and that sound effect you heard means that the first person to call right now wins $12,000. All right, let's take them right here on the line. Hello, Johnny? My name's Billy. All right, never mind. So right now, uh, we're going to get into, I'll do a little bit of a traffic, then we're getting into a new segment uh, called Motorcycle Scan. We'll be right back with more Creative Radun. Guy Builds Motorcycle Washing Services. Give Billy a try. Hi, Billy Guy Bell. You give me water and a bucket, I'll wash your motorcycle. It'll be good, clean. Billy Guy Build, getting motorcycles clean since 25 weeks ago. Billy Guy Builds, located in Burt Town. Hi, Billy, get your motorcycle sparkly. Billy washes baggers, cruisers. Naked bikes, sport bikes, drag bikes, scooters, monkey bikes, mini bikes, bikes that don't even run. Call Billy now, 555-273-BILLY. You call me and uh, book your appointment to wash your motorbike. That's Billy Guybelds Motorcycle Washing Services, just outside of Luckerville, Bloyton and Stancran in Blimey Town. Billy Guybuild's Motorcycle Washing Services. Don't forget it, punk. Yeah, bitch. Zappers, Zappers. we got them. Whappers, Whappers. we got them. We got everything you need for your off-road adventure this summer at Nathan's Power Sports Village in Durston. Brakes, Brakes. we got those. All right, everybody, we are back. We're going to get, uh, we're going to send it over to, I think it's Gary this week in, uh, Sky 600, GSXR 600. It's the only news chopper refurbished, of course. It's a Bell, uh, model 990. And let's send it over to Gary right now, who's flying high over. Where are you today, Gary? Well, Junk, you wouldn't believe where the hell I am tonight. I'm, they got me over Florida of all places. Fucking shithole state. What, I can't say shithole? President says shithole. Oh, I'm with him. All right, well, anyway, they got me over this state. Uh, you may know it. They film an MTV show called 
Florabama here, of all the places. Anyway, you're gonna you're not gonna want to ride out through the 10 or the 110. And I'm embarrassed to say we have those same freeways in LA. And I'm not sure they're any better there than they are here. We got a naked man running uh, through a Walmart. And uh, there's a guy on a rowboat trying to massacre a manatee for cigarettes. And also out there on the 87 headed toward Baghdad. Baghdad, listen, if you have to live in a city called Baghdad, first of all, you're living in Florida. Then you're living in Baghdad, Florida. You've got better things to do, like hang yourself from that tree. Next, coming out on the uh, the 29 over to the 90, it's a horrible ride. Florida is just flat, crummy. There's nothing. Good. Oh my God, hang on. Well, there's one good thing about this state, and that's the motorcyclists in it. But hang on one sec. All right, you kids, get. Oh shoot. Oh my God, we got a jet ski on fire. Uh, I'm out of here, Bruce. Bruce Lord. All right, well, we seem to have lost Gary and Sky 600 over the swamps of Florida somewhere uh, doing something, and it uh, sounds like a jet ski's on fire. All right, well, now we're going to get into last week's, uh, what we teased last week. It's this new segment we're going to start uh, called the Moto Scan. Couldn't think of anything more creative. Go figure. Um, so anyway, we're going to talk about motorcycles from the top down. If you want to feel like you can chime in, with some information and you're like hey i can tell that they're going to be on this next week then give us a call at uh, 740-563-2858 leave us a little voicemail there if you'd like or write us at creative writing podcast at gmail.com you can also hit up our facebook page and leave us a comment there maybe i'll make a group for motoscan if you'd like to join i can't make a group on instagram because instagram's really stupid and they're owned by Facebook, so go figure. But uh, if you want to hit us up there, and hopefully I see it, and it's not 27 weeks after the fact due to Instagram's algorithm that shows you stuff seven days after it happened, um, I'll catch it on there. And you can promptly get it to me, probably as we're talking about it here on the show, at Twitter, at creative underscore writer on the twits. Uh, And anyway, so this is going to be designed to talk about motorcycles from the top down, and cover the components of a motorcycle at their core, basically. Like, you know, there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat. And motorcycles are one of those things similar to a car where it's done every way possible. And they're still pretty inefficient. Um, electrocuting a cat is totally different. But even electric motorcycles use the same components. You still have brakes, tires, forks, handlebars, mirrors, seats, things like that. So in our scan, we're going to start at the top of a motorcycle as if you were shooting a laser beam at it and scan downwards and go component by component at this thing head on, literally, because we're also going to do front to back. So starting this week, we're going to hit... start with the handlebars and I know this sounds like something crazy to talk about but we already got some people weighing in uh, on our patron uh, was it Patreon? Yeah I think it was Patreon some of our patrons on there uh, I had mentioned it there first if you'd like to be on the inside loop and see some funny stuff a little bit before everybody else go to patreon.com forward slash creative writing for more info and you, for a little, as little as a dollar or as much as a million bucks you can get in on the conversations and um, what I the first response somebody said 
in regards to our handlebars is, yeah, I'd like to talk about like the differences, like the lev- what, the difference between leverage and like the width of them uh, versus other aspects of the handlebars. Uh, so that I'm not a jerk and I'm reading verbatim. Let me quote. This is from our new patron, John. Hey, John, how you doing? The width of bars. Why are some more narrow and some wider? For lane splitting, transport, and storage, or getting your bike into a motel room, what are the pros and cons of bar length choices? And do heavy bikes need wider bars? Do large versus small bikes do better with wider or narrower bars? I'm going to tell you this from experience, and this doesn't necessarily mean that it's true. It just means that it's anecdotal. Uh, Skinny bars for me are the bomb. Living here in LA, commuting here in LA, and getting my bike in and out of the garage door. Uh, Like you said, getting your bike into a hotel room, no go, bro. If it's like an ape with six foot tall handlebars on an already three foot tall bike, that's nine feet. And uh, I don't even know how you're riding. You you look illegal to me at this point. Um, But anyway, yeah, I I was Spamela specifically. I used to be able to, to ride her right through my garage door, which is a normal door. What are normal doors? Like seven feet tall, two and a, two and seven eighths feet wide. I don't know, three feet wide, something like that. Uh, like a meter by three, two and a half meters if you're uh, Canadian. And if you're English or Scottish, it's about... 25 pint glasses tall by about 7, 10, 12, a good baker's dozen, and then a few more for good good times wide. And so I used to be able to push it right through into the garage. Um, now I have to do like some sort of biker gymnastics where I like tip, I had to ride super close to the door on one side, tip the like actually tip the bike over and put one handlebar out the door and then inch it forward and pop the front wheel up the door sill because it's not a flush. It's up about, uh, for those Scottish and English people, it's up about uh, a sniffed, a brandy snifter. Um, for everybody else, it's a good like six inches for metric people who measure your penises in uh, millimeters and centimeters that makes it sound way bigger than inches. It's a good, oh, I'd say 15, 12 to 15 centimeters to, uh, up, you know, that I had to pop this thing up over the, the entrance of the door to get it in. And this bike weighs, uh, I'm guessing a couple hundred pounds, 300 max. And I doubt it's that and so imagine trying to do this with like a Harley Davidson or something. First of all, Harley Davidson would probably not fit because the floorboards and everything go out wide. You get yourself a Sportster, maybe a 48. Now you're talking. That could probably roll through there. <clears throat> uh, bagger, no way. I don't even think a fairing would fit through the front door. Plus, I have a counter right here, right once you come inside the door. And Spamela is like the only reason it can go in and out of there. And I don't think I'd be able to get the scrambler the scrambler out of there. And I definitely haven't never even tried it on the VFR, but I bet you with this thing, I could pop a wheelie out the door because the VFR is probably the skinniest motorcycle in my garage right now. And, um, the thing is, is bar width. Now I really like, these are new handlebars that are on Spamela. Um, the SCR has pretty wide handlebars. You get a lot of leverage. Um, 
John's question about narrower bars and do bigger bikes need wider bars? Um, they don't necessarily need wider bars, but you do get a lot more leverage. And when I was a kid growing up with the ATCs and dirt bikes, they had really wide bars. And, and to some degree, flat trackers also have really wide bars. And you're getting a lot of leverage for not very much input. You're not wrestling. You're already wrestling dirt stuff around enough due to the terrain that you're on. You don't need to wrestle anymore with the skinny, narrow bar. So yes, excuse me, wider bars do produce better leverage. Uh, They are also, when I was a kid, I found out a little bit harder to control because with all that leverage, you do need a fulcrum. You need a leverable uh, you know, some a weight to put weight somewhere. And when I was a little kid and I weighed, what, all of 70 pounds trying to horse this an ATV around on a ranch, it, it took me for a ride. I didn't, I didn't really ride it. It like drove me where it wanted to go because my arms were so little, I couldn't get any, even though there was leverage there, I couldn't get any of my own leverage on the bars. So it, depends. And it could have had to do with the fact that in the eighties, ATC tires were also like 15 inches wide. So it was kind of like trying to drive a steamroller around, uh, for a little kid. Um, so the wider the bars though, the better the leverage and the adults had no problem doing it. And dirt bikes back in the day, plenty wide bars, um, for leverage and for, uh, let me see dirt bikes. You know, I don't know. I've seen some dirt bikes with skinnier bars, but they were kind of like trick bikes. And I'm not sure about arena cross versus supercross and motocross. I'd probably have to talk to a dirt bike person about that. But like I'm saying, on the SCR 950 that I have, the bars are a little wider than I like. I found out the hard way commuting to jury duty a couple weeks ago that I don't fit between every single thing. Um, I may have mentioned on last week's show that I punched a box truck with my front brake. Now, I wasn't doing 60 miles an hour. That would have been terrible. I was doing like negative one miles an hour because I was walking. I was doing this little trot. Uh, on the 110 freeway, which if you're familiar with the, if you're familiar with downtown LA, I think I was started on the 10 or the 60 or whatever the hell it was, and it's going right into downtown. Right, the, <clears throat> excuse me. Right there, the world's smallest freeway makes itself even smaller, and it's really, really, really hard to lane split. And there was a dude on a sport bike doing it, and I really like Brivifer's VFR because it's not too wide, and when you have the mirrors out, they're very supple. Eh, supple's not the, quite the right word I'm using for a mirror, uh, but they are pliable. That's not the right word I'm using for a mirror. They're foldable. That's what they are. Uh, and you just reach out there. And I've been lane splitting um, some pretty skinny stitches and just reach out there and, and just yanked it back both hands, you know, and super quick like. And then you could probably even steer with them. They're so they're so good. That front, oh wait, that the, they don't connect to the handlebars. <laughs> they connect to the fairing. I guess you can't steer with them. But the point being, they they fold in really good, and and you can actually fold them flat against the windscreen. And so the furthest thing that's sticking out at that point is the bar ends, which stick out about as far as my knees from the bike. So I mean, if I'm going to smash my knee on something, I'm already cutting it too close. The rule is if don't split if you don't fit or if you don't fit don't split or if fit you don't split you don't if you're yoda and you're trying to lane split point being 
there's a lot of, you know, the fixed handlebar thing is is great and all, but the fixed uh, width on these things is is not. And I really like having shorter for me, narrower bars. And and I've never come across a thing on my Magna. I don't even remember how wide the bars were on that thing, but they didn't feel extremely wide. And um, they were a sort of bar that we're going to talk about soon. They pulled back and uh, pulled in. They didn't feel real wide. And I, th- I feel like that thing got head shake. As a matter of fact, it did get a head shake. And I've seen YouTube videos where people got head shakes and then just wiped out altogether at like 65 miles an hour. Um, that thing was nasty. Part of, I mean, I know part of the reason was that mine had a windscreen on it, like an aftermarket windscreen. And that, when it caught the wind, made the head shake even worse. But it had head shake uh, enough. Um, and I, the bars weren't that narrow. Now I don't know if wider bars would have helped with that because you can't really force your way out of a head shake. The best thing to do is either pop a wheelie so that you're not, you don't have any tire on the ground and then worry about head shake when you land again, or, um, to try and like ride it out. The bike does love to go straight. And if you fall off, it will magically all of a sudden start going straight again. You know, usually unless the head shakes really bad and then it's cartwheeling. But at once you're at that point, you're usually not on the bike anymore anyway. So it is, it is nuts. Head shakes can happen and it's not always because the width of the bars, uh, it can happen with sport bikes that have clip-ons that are pretty close to the bike and it can happen with wide bars. Um, there was a famous video going around a car, I want to say last year, of a guy that was like on an old Harley, looked like a Dyna or something. Um, and he just like started a tank slap until he eventually like just did a 360 and then skidded down the freeway on his face. I don't think he had a helmet on. Um, he did have a DOT bandana though, which counts, but his head shake started almost out of nowhere. And it looked like he had the back of the bike loaded up. Um, and you know, Jay and I were talking about this a couple weeks ago, the back when she was going to babes right out, how the bike felt all wonky when you have a lot of weight on the back and nothing over the front. The front end lightens up and things start to go wonky. And his tires look like they were a little bit under deflated, under inflated, which is deflated. If it's under deflated, that means it's pumped up and that's what you want. If it's deflated, then it's under inflated. And that coupled with improper loading will create some really terrible situations where your bars start to shake and no matter how much leverage you have on them, it sucks. Now for lane splitting, of course, skinnier bars, the better for pulling into hotel rooms, uh, of course, skinnier bars, the better for beating people over the head. I would say you want a little bit more reach. So you want to get the longest bars you can. And for skipping rope, if you get ape hangers and you hold them just right, like I guess if you took the tops and bent them in, you could probably skip rope with ape hangers. So for fitness, I'm going to say ape hangers. You could do pull-ups on those um, mounted, you know, if you mount them uh, properly, you can do pull-ups just off the ground on your bike. Um, so for leverage, we're going to, we're going to talk about that in a minute. We're going to go start this moto scan segment with just hitting some handlebars and they it sounds like the dumbest thing in the world to talk about a piece of metal, but you'll see in a minute, we're going to yak about handlebars and what they mean to you. And John, if I didn't answer one of your questions, what was the other question you asked? I feel like there was more to that, more to that statement. Do heavy bikes need wider bars? No. And do large versus small bikes, bikers do better with wider or narrower? Nope, as we'll come to find out in this Moto Scan. 
We're going to do a motorcycle scan. And, you know, Wiggins and I used to have, like, these crazy... Uh, like motor challenge suspension <laughs> challenge. Yeah, I'm still that wearing the Dude, wig. You're rocking that, girl. You, <laughs> you know, I lost it, so I'm gonna own it. Work that bag, lady. Yeah, look. Yeah, I got this wig on. Yeah, um, we're we did a motorcycle motor crazy motor challenge before we did a suspension challenge. We did another challenge that I just can't remember, and then we were supposed to do the brake challenge um, right when you started coming on the show, Jay, and then. I remember like that one went sideways. We talked about <laughs> diarrhea with Dane and like we never came back to that one. So what we're going to do is we're going to do a motorcycle scan. And I thought it would be kind of cool. Jay was asking me and Wiggs a while back about camshafts and like valves, valves yeah. and all this crazy sort of stuff. And I was like, oh, it's kind of cool. And I have, whoops, I have this motor right here that I was like, I could show you. Like you could see a moving. I got everything still hooked up. And then I was like, wait, why don't we do like a laser scanner Point it at the at a motorcycle and just scan from the top down. Literally, talk about every single part of a motorcycle. I'm very very excited about yeah. this because um, I'm always there. You and I have had conversations uh, off mic about like um, just once you start digging into how different motorcycles are made. There's lots of different engineering ways. Like you, there's more than one way to to make a motorcycle yeah. and it's oh, fascinating yeah. to learn you know there's some some bikes are really over engineered some are really simple you know some can be problematic because there's certain weak spots and vulnerabilities so I, and i just i really love anything that's like mechanically related i uh really nerd out on it it's just something that like um i get really deeply into so for instance like I'm also into pinball and there's somebody on Instagram that I follow and he uh, works on pinball machines and he posts all of like the inner workings of pinball machines and I every time I see it I get so excited and I'm such a nerd about it because I'm just like oh my god like it's so cool to see all of like the electronics and how everything is activated and so with motorcycles I'm the same way and especially since it's something that I'm riding you know I really uh feel more connected to the machine the more I understand like okay what is going on inside and um yeah so I'm very excited about about this this motorcycle scan that we're going to be doing. Yeah. And you know what, you know, and, and Wiggins didn't really want to do the, the motorcycle brake challenge. He's like, what's the thing? Like ABS is the best. And, and that <laughs> like the, a, there's, there's ABS and drum or not ABS. I'm sorry. There's disc and drum and, and disc the best. And I was like, dude, you say that, but there are so many different types of disc brakes. There's, we could have gone just like the ZTL from Buell. Like that's a disc brake, you know. Anyway, I don't want to get down this whole rabbit hole, but I, but there's also so many different types of drum brakes out there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not just a drum brake. There's, there's some really cool racing drum brakes before discs were even a thing. And then there's like different materials. Oh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Different, well, know. and until recently, now that everybody's got IMUs, there was like, uh, there wasn't a cornering ABS or a linked ABS. And even the way like Honda does ABS versus Harley Davidson is totally different. Honda is still very mechanical and they have those anti-dive front ends that has like a another master cylinder on your front caliper hooked to your shocks. It's really interesting to say the least uh, how people do things. But 
I thought something as simple as that um, was inspiring. And scanning a, a motorcycle from the top down, like if you were to take a laser and just the first thing you hit is like, well, the mirrors, but the mirrors and the handlebars. And I was like, how handlebars, how pedantic and pedestrian are, I don't pedantic's not the right word. I think pedestrian's the word I'm looking for, are handlebars. They are literally just a stick with some grips on them, mm-hmm. but are they? And I think back in the day, there were a couple bikes that didn't have, uh, everything was foot control. You literally just use the handlebars for steering input. And I was going to try and look up the Dadeon cycle. I probably should still look that up. That was one of the very first motorcycles ever in the world. Um, and I think it had a single like rudder. <laughs> I don't even. Mm. I don't even think it had a, a. That's gnarly. I don't even think it had steering wheels. I think it had like a rudder. That sounds so sketchy. Yeah. So Dadeon <laughs> was one of the first um, motorized cycles that took um, won an endurance race, and mm. so um, I, I will look it up. I'm not. I'm not going to find it here, and I'm just only going to get in trouble for using copyrighted material there. I'd, try to talk over that. <laughs> so um, handlebars, they're just a stick with some grips on it, correct or incorrect? Well, um, I would like to point out that going back to the turn of the century, when you're talking about like the very first motorcycles, they were less of a stick and more of a recurve bow. They look like you took a um, pair of cow horns mm-hmm. and stuck them on the front of a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. And nowadays we have... Um, we have clip-ons, mm-hmm. we have drag bars, we have all sorts of different, if you're just talking standard handlebars, we have all different sorts of pullbacks and uh, rise heights and diameters and all this great stuff. So already handlebars aren't just a piece of metal that goes through a little clamp. They're pretty complicated things. Um, you have choppers that have custom choppers that have them coming straight back toward you. So it's more like a two-boat rudder. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Have you seen those choppers yep. that are ultra yeah, skinny? Yeah, like the, the, aren't those uh, rabbit ears? Yeah, I mean, is yep. that what they call them? Yeah, rabbit ears or these weird little T-bars that are so close yep. together, it's almost like you're holding the dynamite yeah, no, plunger. No, I've seen the one that was literally, it looked like a V. Okay. <laughs> oh, right, I don't right. even know Dude, how, how the, that works. Listen, because and, and there was no, I guarantee there was no... Uh, brakes on it because they're a brake and a clutch cable right. wouldn't have fit. To, yep. They're so skinny, like you can only have one lever up front. So you have a clutch lever because your brake, you probably only have a rear brake. It's yeah, probably it's a chopper. Yeah, it's funny uh, that you did want to talk about handlebars because I actually kind of have a little bit of variety of experiences with <laughs> handlebar situations because I I put on several different handlebars on my Harleys. I tried because I was trying the stock bars sucked so bad on the on the forty eight, and so the reason they were terrible was um, I was they were really low and they were really forward, and so all of the pressure was being placed right on my wrist mm-hmm. at a really bad angle, and so like not even like ten minutes into the ride. I was just in a lot of pain. It yeah. was just not a good riding position. And then on top of that, I'm, I was leaning forward and then my back started hurting. So like right away, I was like, damn, okay, this is the first thing I need to modify right. on the damn bike. Yeah, before you change your exhaust and 
intake and screw everything exactly. up, why not change the ergonomics to well, fit that, a little bit better, right? That's the most important is if you're not comfortable when you're riding, then it's really yeah. going to be become a safety issue. And that's something that people don't even like take into consideration when they're younger. It's like usually when you start getting older and you're like, oh, I rode a couple Harleys this weekend or like an Indian and I think I like this thing <laughs> or a Goldwing even. And you're like, I like the ergonomics. Why do the ergonomics work? Because they're not clip-ons mm-hmm. and they're not like way out and forward. They're they're pulled right back to you so that you're a relaxed fit. Now, in this in the early days of motorcycles, like we said, they came back. They were basically like a U or like a bow. They look like a frigate. Like you can go put a string in there and go hunting with them, right? Kind of like a, like beach a cruiser beach cruiser yeah. exactly. And I think Harley does have a patented bar called a beach bar that comes way back just like that. Yeah. No, I seen. I think there's a shop that's in near where we live and. There was a guy who had, well, I guess he was riding, I don't know if he was test riding or what, but he had those beach bar bar handlebars, but they were the biggest, whitest beach bar handlebars I have ever seen. I was just like, oh, I don't even, (laughs) like, it was ridiculous. They they looked like they were like three feet in in diameter. Like, it was just... If you, uh, really outstretched as gnarly. Right. If you look at this 1912 Flying Merkel, the handlebars come yeah, those back. Those are more, more in. Like, those are more towards your body. Uh, these ones right here, yeah. They come, look, they come back at least like a foot and a half or two feet to the rider. Yeah, but they're like parallel with each other almost. Like, yeah, that's yeah. how much they curve. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, they're not out at all. They're right, like They're yeah. like back. It's like riding a horse, which basically motorcycles used to be mm-hmm. like, it's like holding reins. Maybe that's that why really they- That really is similar to a rudder style if you think about it. Yeah. <laughs> and then look at this very same my Flying Merkle board tracker. The handlebars went straight down. They were like clip-ons, mm-hmm. but instead of like going out, like straight down, it was like holding on to two- um, prison bars <laughs> yeah I, I, I um when i used to ride bicycles uh, a lot i would experiment with different handlebars and i had a setup like that which was fun going seen, downhill <laughs> i seen a guy on a um chopper going down this freeway it was like a fat boy or something his ape hangers were so high and his forward controls were so far forward i don't it, think his I, ass was on the seat yeah i've seen that a couple times and i'm just like bro like there's a certain point where looking cool stops there you, you meet the a- apex of coolness <laughs> right, right. and then once you surpass the apex like once you blow it Dude, it's like it's like dangerous to ride i was thinking are, about yeah how little leverage he actually had on the bars having to have his yeah. shoulders up that high. As- well, that's the thing. It, you, it's all for looks because if he was to be in a situation that many times I encountered as a commuter where you get cut off or whatever, like how do you do an emergency yeah. maneuver when your arms are like Dude, <laughs> above your head? Yeah. If you had to like twist a lever to get out of a door let's say would you like to do it when it's right here in front of you or even at like chest height or when it's way up here above your head and you have zero leverage it's exactly how ape hangers are that were that high right so i was like what the hell but in the 70s in the late maybe even 50s to 70s and early 80s a very 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 common style of handlebar was called the buckhorn and it's in between what you and i are talking about it's not quite a way far pullback like beach cruiser style and it wasn't down parallel with the um the board tracker style but it does kind of look like a ram or a deer's horns and almost every single cruiser had them even my mm-hmm. kawasaki 
uh, KZ 550. It was a it was a luxury bike. It wasn't the sport bike. The sport bikes had what they call super bike bars on them back then. They weren't as buckhorny, but they these buckhorn bars were like on everything from Harleys to Jap bikes and and everything in between. Even even uh, Spamala stock came with buckhorn bars on. Mm. And you take these babies and you flip them upside down and put it back on your bike, and now you have Clubmans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Clubmans were basically <laughs> cafe racer bars that were one piece. Instead of having clip-ons, they hadn't figured out clip-ons yet back in the day they would still make one piece bars that were basically the the ergonomics of clip-ons but they clamped still instead of around your forks they clamped into your um yeah you you take take this off it's killing me if it's not gonna make your head sweat it's gonna squeeze your brain yeah just the itchiness oh god yeah jay served her punishment well yeah there you go i paid my dues <laughs> she okay, paid her dues hey good, you, i had there's other things that you would have to eat and i made sure that they are i, I tested all these first to make sure they're not going to kill us but trust me that wig was a pretty gentle one. Oh man i'm gonna be itching for the le- next two hours yeah. my ears oh are just, yeah oh so getting back to handlebars, they're not as simple as they seem. And the more and more you get into customization, you start running wires through them. You start doing all sorts of stuff. But let me show you these ones from a, a BMW K1600. Mm. These don't even look like a handlebar. And you know Are what? Are they split? They're, they're two yeah. pieces. Yeah. And they make, uh, I forget which Harley Davidson model has this, but the Honda CT70 instead of having a joined set of handlebars, each bar, the left and the right, is a separate one that bolts into the holes of the top triple tree. Mm-hmm. And Harley-Davidson has a newer model that has that. If, if it was, wasn't one of the last Dynas, it's one of the new soft tails. I forget mm-hmm. what it is. But the um, each bar is individual, and it bolts right into the triple tree. Now, this K1600 GTL, I believe there's a Honda, like the either the Goldwing or the ST1300 has these like this, where the bars are like... A one, the left and the right handlebar are separate. They're not joined by anything. They bolt jointly to the top steering piece. Hmm. And because it's a Hossack front end, it doesn't actually clamp to the triple trees. Um, it bolts to the, a little top bridge, which hmm. then like a steering stem runs through. And then the steering mechanisms that move the front fork bolt to these and go way out here. So oh, Sounds I'm, like a lot of extra it, parts. It, dude, it totally is. <laughs> like way more complicated yeah. than just having and, a straight handlebar on there. And since BMW has this method patented, the Honda one had to do their own thing. Right. So you should see the Honda one. It's even crazier. It's got like double, wow. it's got like double uh, heim joint things going out. So they don't connect to anything. And... There are they a handlebar at this point? I mean, the term handlebar is a uh, kind of like pannier. It is goes there way any back. Benefits to this style? I well, mean- to this style, yes, because this goes down into a fairing. Which to have a bar with a fairing, you can't do right. You couldn't have like little clamps coming up. Even Harley's that have a um, fixed fairing mm-hmm. have a very unique. Um, triple clamp that goes back the triple clamps face backwards basically Mm -hmm. because otherwise your bars would be hitting the fairing so these uh, this allows the bar to go deep down inside the fairing and still turn Mm. while it pops out above it where your hands are actually turning it so yeah you can't just have a regular handlebars definitely can't have clip-ons on like a k1600 gt or Mm -hmm. because you'd have to cut 
holes in the fairings to put your hands into to hold handlebars. (laughs) But there's a lot that goes into handlebars. And that's kind of why I thought this bike scan from the top down would be interesting because it kind of points out that the simplest things on a motorcycle, even a nut and a bolt, which we won't probably get that far into things, but even those things... um, can be complicated. Well, that, that's the thing is like, I kind of learned that, at, like I was saying, going back to, to my example, as I started experimenting and playing with the handlebars um, on the Harley, uh, I discovered that it's not even just putting a new set of handlebars. Like obviously you have the issue of like cables, right? You have to extend, yep. sometimes you have to extend the cables. You have wiring that you have to worry about. Um, if you have hydraulic brakes, you have to replace the whole yeah, hose now. Yeah, but what I discovered is um, I had gotten a uh, from one of the handlebar makers that he I found him on Instagram, and he ha- makes a lot of great handlebar models, and a lot of people in the Harley scene would run his handlebars. So they is called a clown car style. That was the name of the style. It was kind of like a window pane but it was uh, angled out a little bit more. So it wasn't quite like a window, straight box, rectangle style. It was like more of a, I don't know what what, what shape would you call that. Kind of like a, a stretched out U. <laughs> if you go. If you grab the top of a U and bent well, it yeah, outwards. Just like imagine if you had a box and then you just kind of stretch the top part out yeah, yeah, further, yeah. right? So um, these handlebars had... Ho- they were hollow, so the 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 yeah. shaft was hollow. Yeah, and what right. I discovered was vibrations. I started having like the certain frequency of the vibration of the motor, and like because it was hollow, the vibrations just insanely were making my hands numb. And that was something that I didn't expect, right? right. And so, uh, funny enough, the way that I figured out the poor man's modification or a fix that I did was I found because I was trying to measure it and I was like okay the I like figured the inner diameter and I was like I didn't have any like rods that I could put into there because I was going to hammer something so I wanted to like weight it because from my research if I weighted it then it would change the frequency of the vibration and kind of absorb it a bit so I took a roll of pennies and um, two rolls of pennies for each side of the handlebars, and I hammered them in to <laughs> Damn, girl, the that's so, that is like total <laughs> Yeah, DIY. so if you look at my Harley under the handlebars, you'll see I even wrapped them like in, you know, you know the coin rolls. So they have the coin rolls, and then I put like a, an epoxy to keep them so that they don't fall out. Uh, but it actually worked. So I have like a uh, fifty or something inside of my... <laughs> My my handlebars on my Harley, but it, uh, it's funny that you should say that because uh, if you look at this diagram that I'm showing you right here, number twelve here is a bar end weight, mm-hmm. and other motorcycle manufacturers like Harley have multiple. They have an outer and then like a couple rubber spacers and a long inner one. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is you mentioned vibrations, and that's one thing that will kill your grip and it'll kill your long term. Your hands will buzz mm-hmm. and you yeah. they'll get numb. It's terrible. And the funny thing too is that a lot of times bikes don't have steering dampers. Like that's sort of like an advanced thing for like a lot of race bikes that has quick steering and stuff anyway. But just weighting the outside of the bars will also create. If you, you know, you got to like think about physics and this is why 
from handlebars to exhaust, like when you start messing with what the factory has engineered with your chassis, you're starting to screw with stuff. And some people don't realize my bike's handling weird. You put weights out there at the end of the handlebars and think about a baseball bat when you're swinging a baseball bat mm-hmm. with no weights on it. If it's a light bat, oh, you can, like a wiffle ball bat, you can swing it back and forth, back and forth. You put them close down by your hands, you can still swing it back and forth, back and forth. You slide them out there to the end, and now it takes quite a bit more force to actually swing those um, same weights. Say, like, say they're like a five or 10 ounce weight. You hold it down by your hands and you could swing it relatively fast, but you slide that out to the end of the bat and now it actually takes a little bit of force yeah. and you're going to feel it. It gives like, you momentum. Yeah. Right. But you're going to feel it in your pecs and your biceps and everywhere else that you're going to have to like actually push that bat around now. Well, the same thing happens with your bike. You can get head shake and, and, mm-hmm. and steering wobbles and all sorts of weird handling issues if you don't have any weights in your bars. So putting a bar end weight is like the cheapest thing that people do to reduce vibration and add yeah. weight to the ends to create like a harder rotational moment to kind of get away from like having wobbly yeah. steering and, and stuff like that. It's so funny that we're talking about the handlebars because as I've mentioned before on the banana, my handlebars are actually tweaked right now. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I shouldn't be riding <laughs> with tweaked handlebars. So the the left side, when the bike went down, um, it pushed in the left handlebar just enough so that the left side, when you go full lock to the left, um, or would that be to the right? No, to the left. To the left. Touches the tank. Um, it touches the yeah. tank, right? So like when you go to the right side, it doesn't. You have about an inch and the, the lock stops right there. Um, so it does, I, I, it does affect the steering a little bit, but I've been able to manage. The only issue is just like I said before, it'll pinch my thumb when I go to make really tight left turns. But the thing is, is a friend gave me, I needed, I was like, oh, I want to replace these handlebars eventually. So she gave me a pair of handlebars uh, off of, I think one of her her TL or, or something else. But the thing is they were two inches too long, too wide. And because I'm used to splitting in LA, like I don't yeah. want to change the, the like right. dimensions of what I'm used to riding because right. that's, that's just what I'm used to, and as a as a lane splitter, it's just like I don't want to go wider. I always want to go more <laughs> narrow, and so I was. She was like, "Well, why don't you just cut? Why don't you just chop it?" Yep. But it has the bar weights in there, oh, and I right. was like, "You know, I don't want to do that because once I do that, then it's going to start changing." like we're saying, the handling of it. And uh-huh. that's you, the one thing I noticed with the Suzuki, especially compared, like riding a sport bike compared to riding the Harley, I didn't really have bar and weights on the ends. It was more on through the the, the bottom of the shaft. Um, I noticed it, it's really helpful. And um, so I didn't want to fuck yeah. with that. You know? Yeah, and most, most bar, like these BMW ones, you can see that there's no... This is it. It just screws straight to the bar. I think Paul's VFR is the same way. I think the bar end just screws right into the handlebar. But the Harley ones and a lot of aftermarket ones or or universal ones has like a well nut, which is basically a rubber nut with the thread inside. And when you tighten it and it pulls the back of the nut toward the uh, front, it expands the rubber and it pinches it inside the tube mm-hmm. so you can actually remove them, but not all bikes yeah, that's have how, that. that's how mine is set up. Right. <clears throat> so, yeah, even when Spamla, when I first got Spamla, you know, 
me and my buddies were all into cafe racers and I had a pair of Clubmans that were a little too wide for my liking like you. I cut them off and even cutting off that two inches, the leverage that I had changed mm-hmm. and steering became quicker. I had to like relearn yeah. steering on it really quick. And it, it is amazing how something as simple as a handlebar can yeah. change everything from putting higher bars on and mm-hmm. you feel like you're sitting in your bike, you put clip-ons on and all of a sudden you feel like you're sitting on your bike, you know? Yeah. Well, that's the thing about um, the Harley versus my Suzuki is I loved this. When I finally dialed in the setup on the Harley, I absolutely loved it because I got it at the right height because my whole issue was like just comfort, you know, and especially it's a cruiser style. So, you know, we were going on long trips and whatnot. So I had it, I was able, I had to put risers to get it so that the height was just a little bit below my shoulders. So my, you know, hands weren't going numb long distance and it wasn't too wide. And so what I did is I chopped it so that um, it was narrow enough, but the downside was, especially in LA, you hit one of those potholes oh, and yeah. it's a heavy Harley. I got tank slappers a lot because of doing that change on there because I lost that. There's uh, no the leverage. leverage. Yeah. Right. And that, that it was sketchy, but. Um, you might as well just have a vice <laughs> grip on just the steering yeah. too. Well, the thing is, is like I, I'm pretty good at adapting physically really oh, yeah. quickly on, yeah. on, on the various different bikes that I ride. Um, so I was able to adapt, but definitely I could see if somebody who was like a newer rider rode my bike in that situation. Or even somebody could, that came off a dirt bike with yeah, all that leverage is like, oh, shit. You would have to get a little bit used to it yeah. before you started riding it. Yeah, I, I'll never forget the first time um, when I used to – when I was a kid, uh, obviously I – started out on dirt bikes um, and ATVs and God, those handlebars on those things back in the 80s felt like they were like seven feet wide. I just, I remember (laughs) you had a lot of leverage, but Mm -hmm. as a little kid, that was my wingspan too. And I just felt like I was like, I might as well have just held on to one side and pulled. Yeah, (laughs) well, see, the thing is, is that's why I liked the narrow handlebars because I liked the swiftness. For for you, the comfort was probably good too. And also, yeah, and the swiftness. I was able, because I was splitting, I was able to, like I, I when I split on the sportster man, I was able to get in yep. really like narrow yep. situations. Being a skinny twin with narrow yeah, bars. Yeah. That's and the one thing I don't like about the SCR is that the bars are super wide. They're mm-hmm. like an inch wider than Spamlab and the mirrors stick out to the end of the bars. So it's like that's one thing I've I, when I was splitting to jury duty, uh I was on the one ten and that is like so Oof. narrow. Yeah, yeah. And they're if you know, if you can't split fit don't split and mm-hmm. I, I literally punched a box truck with my uh brake hand yep. and it like yep. I was like oh shit I like locked up the front brake and I was like well that I was doing like one mile an hour so it didn't really matter but I was like well I guess I'm not gonna split in between here because I, I obviously don't fit I was kind of like barely like drifting through there at like half a mile an hour and like I Hit my brake lever hit the box truck and mm-hmm. I was like oh fuck like if I had been on Spamla it was just like an inch is all it takes you know yeah. and so so yeah and, and I didn't want to like end up you know scraping along any cars because hashtag somebody <laughs> else does that uh-huh. in this podcast but um but yeah you know it, it's crazy and we and we haven't even got into switches like we won't cover switches this time we're just covering the actual bar there's a lot to it and so comfort is a big thing uh kawasaki and indian i know are two companies that focus a lot on 
having packages available for you to be in the comfort zone when you're riding the bikes, especially the Vulcan line and the Scout line. They are made for riders to fit forward and back and just lock into those handlebars and a good seating position to keep you comfortable. And I have to say, when I test rode the Indians at AIM a couple years ago, um, some of the I literally felt like I could ride this for hours and hours because the, the seat hugged your butt just right. It was like a bucket seat, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was a saddle, a, like an old tractor-style seat. And the bars swooped back, mm-hmm. kind of beach bar style to where it was just a neutral. It was almost like I was just sitting here like this. Yeah. I wasn't like this. I wasn't putting any weight on them. I didn't have my elbows up or out, nothing. It was just such a calm, uh, cool, relaxed seat. And so handlebars are designed with the bike that you're riding um, with that in mind, and of course, Harley Davidson has fifty thousand parts and accessory ones, so they kind of make up for if you don't, if you're not satisfied, they yeah, make a part for it. My issue with Harley was, and that's the difference between that I noticed when I between my two bikes is with the Harley, it having the forward seating and then plus leaning forward with the handlebars so low and forward on on the Sportster, it just it didn't make sense, and I've seen a lot it? of. Did you change it to that? I changed though? it all. Oh. No, that's what it came with. Oh, that okay. was stock, and I was like, no, I have to get rid of. Was it all a forty-eight? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it was kind of like trying to be like a. But the thing is, is like I see weird so, cafe especially racer. like at Babes Right Out. There's so many women on 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 Harley's, and like that position is not comfortable. Like yeah. it, you may think you look cool, but like. It, it's not, and th- that's what's frustrating is because I spent probably like between getting the mid mounts and then the handlebars and then the, the longer clutch cable and the longer brake cable and like the wiring harness, I spent up to like $700 to get everything set up. Yep. And versus when I got the banana, it was perfect. Like the, 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 the foot. The, where the foot pegs were, yeah. where the handlebars were, I didn't have to change any of yeah. it, which was really special <clears throat> for me because I'm a short person, and so like I always felt like, oh, I can't ride certain types of bikes. But when I got on the SV650, it was like, oh my god, this is this is perfect. Like yeah. I didn't have to change anything. Yeah. And so that's my complaint about Harley is I notice a lot of people. It's like you buy the bike and then you change it. Yeah. A lot of times the rider. Uh, they don't really do it that much anymore, but they used to like really focus on the rider triangle. Right now, they're trying to focus on like what a good time you'll be having on this on your cool motorcycle. But they used to focus a lot on rider triangle and what was available ergonomics wise because people that was a thing. Like your wrists start to hurt. My buddy that now is like a total crazy Harley guy um, started out on sport bikes, and he's like, "Dude, my wrists." And I'm like, "Yep." Yeah, that's the thing is I noticed like uh, all of the new 2020 models coming out. And there's so many sexy sport <laughs> bikes, you know? And the thing is, is I don't think I could ever get one of those for, for my fleet because I know that I, I just riding wise, you know, and since I'm getting older, like I do love the naked sport bike because I love the more upright position. So it's like, I'll drool over those bikes, but I'm just like, that would only have to be for the track. Yeah. You know, yeah. cause like there's for me commuting wise, it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And it, like I'm saying, it uh, it really starts making you think about handlebar weird stuff like handlebar design when you start looking at how is this going to affect me, right? So um, that's it for handlebars. We're going to do – I don't know if you want to go into um, 
I mean, we could spend hours on switches because those are so different on a lot of different bikes, but we could, we're going to continue our scan. We're going to move down the handlebar and maybe cover levers and go into like triple clamps and stuff like that. Because as I mentioned, some of the Harley baggers have a backwards triple clamp. Some bikes don't have triple clamps at all. So we'll scan downward further uh, next week. Well, it turns out I did double talk on there, uh, blabbed about something or other here and there. All right, everybody. Well, I just wanted to, ooh, I just wanted you to say that we're out of here. I'm checking my email as we're talking. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this week. I hope we covered what you wanted to hear in the old uh, handlebar section. And I realized we, we even left out something as stupid as handlebars. We left out a lot of them there. Um, and we still could have gone on for like two more weeks on handlebars. And actually, I think it would be cool to get a handlebar manufacturer on the show and do some follow-up with some of this stuff. And each week as we move down into a different section, get a specialist on the show that knows exactly 4,000% what they're talking about. All right, with that, let's get myself and Jay back here on the old honker. Close out this show. What do you say? Slay J, where can people find you on the uh, Instagrizzles and your new company, The Flying Banana Incorporated? Uh, the underscore Flying Banana on Instagram and then flyingbanana.bigcartel.com. And then also check us out at creative-writing.com or creative underscore writer on Twitter. There's a lot of cool, fun stuff happening on Twitter right now. Just uh, ask any, anybody who's on Twitter. Um, Instagram and Facebook is Creative Writing Podcast. And hit us up. We, if you have any ideas or any cool show ideas or any music or art that you'd like to share, let us know. Um, now that we're probably going to be pandering for Patreon, uh, more patrons to help us um, advance because we really wanted to I was really looking forward to stepping it up once we got a couple more Patreon dollars and then a couple patrons dropped off so what's uh, gonna... let's to get yeah like people involved engagement yeah. ideas like uh... I got it and I got to figure out this I'm disappointed that we have listeners chiming in on discord and then it's like not working for them or whatever so we need to figure out a different platform and and that's the one that works with patreon unfortunately that doesn't mean that's the one that we have to use so we'll figure it out um and youtube quit doing like live stuff we might just do skype chats together but whatever it is let us know if there's something you want to hear let us know if there's something you want to contribute to our motorcycle scan segment um did we miss the bar on handlebars this week um let us know we uh we're looking forward to episode 200 which is coming up in about three more episodes and i gotta get jay out of here you know somebody threw a tomato at my window last week when you left only they left it in the can they can't handle the banana (laughs) farting around it's waking them up from their their old when we go out here watch it's it's like 9 30 right now i bet you like all the lights are off oh no they're they're about to boot me out i'm gonna go out there next week and my tires gonna be flat (laughs) it's like your bananas up on blocks (laughs) all right guys well with that we are Audi 5k bye